The man of tomorrow is here. It is time for that Wednesday Q&A. And I'm telling you, I'm going to try and make this one jam-packed. Like, I'm, I'm going to try and fit in as much as I possibly can. Uh, in fact, I did uh, my or something that I haven't been doing it every week, but something that I like to do on certain weeks is I will, in the Sovereign Tech Facebook Uncensored group, um, I like to ask, hey, I'm about to do the Wednesday Q&A. Do you have any questions you want me to get into? Because I know a lot of people there are, you know, our patrons, not all of them. It's not a patron-only perk, um, and I largely intend for that group to never be such a thing. But anyway, uh, got some great questions asked uh, through that, and so I will be getting into those. But uh, I have some other ones, too. So like I said, I'm going to try and get through them as much as I can. Actually, some really interesting ones <laughs> that were asked uh, in the in the Facebook group there. But uh, first off, and I'm not going to waste any time, uh, you know, let's just get right into it. First off, uh, a question that I get asked over and over and over again, and that like I get it asked so often that I, you know, like I'll answer it maybe once every six months or something. And then, you know, I'll let it sit and, uh, you know, an arrow, either I'll answer it again in six months or if something comes up that I find particularly interesting with this question, uh, I will mention it. I'll just break in and, uh, you know, even though it might have been asked months ago and I'll break in with it now. Uh, because usually I, I despise most of these tech, most of the projects that come out of this technology. Of course, the technology I'm talking about is blockchain technology. <laughs> Look, I don't hate them all. I've said it over and over and over again. Okay, um, Litecoin, Bitcoin, Zcash, you know, Fan. I'm I'm a fan of all three of those. Those are three that I really, you know, I don't have any technical issues with. Um, I don't, you know, my scam radar doesn't go off, obviously, uh, you know, that I, I have a lot of confidence, uh, in, in those three. Now I want to add one more to the list, but this one comes with a bit of risk because it is a very new, well, it's fairly new is in the order of months. Now you can say after a month, you know, cryptocurrency is old hat, uh, after a month. I know that's a way of thinking within the blockchain space, but, um, this is one that I, I find to be absolutely fascinating and I'm going to explain why. And, and again, it is Zencash. Uh, I mentioned it in the Facebook group. I said that, you know, look, this is this is a bit of a risk. But if you're looking for something that's exciting that you can buy into kind of early, here's something that you can buy into kind of early, you know. And I mean, already one Zen, OK, which is, you know, the coin of Zencash, uh, one, you know, one unit, one one Zen is already at like eight dollars on average. It's about eight bucks uh, a coin, eight bucks a Zen, eight bucks a Zen cash, however you want to say that. Um, I am excited about this and I'll explain why. So uh, a few a few reasons, some of which I am going to describe from an anonymous inside track. And I'm not going to reveal names or the where or how uh, that I've heard some of this stuff, but I want to mention it to you anyway. And you can take it. I mean, I, I like to think that. My reputation as far as the recommendation of altcoins and cryptocurrencies in general is not sparkling as in I'm always right, but sparkling as in I don't engage in pump and dumps. Okay, I don't talk about the flavor of the month. I make it a point to not talk about blockchain technologies because there's so many goddamn things. I rip apart even ICOs that the average person or not the average, but that that a lot of people in the tech journalist space and wherever else don't think is horrendous. Think like brave. OK, uh, you know, and, and all this I rip on those to shreds like I don't 
I don't get bought out. I don't uh, I don't talk about things that I don't consider to be absolutely, you know, legitimate, worthwhile and sound and solid. OK, I hope my reputation stands as far as that goes. So uh, and as some some very kind Sovereign Tech listeners have called me the Warren Buffett of crypto. Well, let's, uh, you know, let, let's talk about Zencash here. So take that for what you will. OK, that that I, you know, again, I really never I like to think I never engage in pump and dumps. Um, you know, have I ever been a part of one and I and it was unwitting? I guess maybe there's a possibility that I said something somewhere sometime, but anyway, I, I don't, I don't recall that. And I don't even know what it would be. Like, I don't even have a clue what it would be. Uh, so, all right. So let's get into Zencash here. Uh, Zencash is, well, let me start by saying this, you know, I've had a lot of people and I've been trying to get somebody on because I know some, some listeners have, and patrons and rightfully so have had concerns around uh, Zcash particular, which I am a fan of. And they have concerns around trusted setup. They have concerns around, you know, other other certain aspects of it. Maybe they don't like the 20% founder's fee, uh, you know, where where like 20% of everything mined goes back to these, what is it, the, the Zero Cash Electric Company? or whatever. I love the name for that. <laughs> but, uh, but where it goes back the, to them to fund it. Uh, maybe they don't like that. What I mean, there's there's a there's a few reasons where people have concerns around around Zcash, and I appreciate that. Okay, um, I've been trying to get somebody on to really be able to address them at a higher level than what I would do. Um, I am largely satisfied with you know with 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 my recommendations of these things, but you know I want to be sensitive to that. Okay. Now, when I say that I support Zcash, really, and I've said this before on Patreon episodes and on Sovereign Tech Prime, the main thing I'm excited about is the genuine scientific breakthrough in cryptography that is uh, zero knowledge proofs. I mean, and it is a breakthrough straight up. And that's what excites me. Okay. And Zcash, the company, you know, Zuko and all them are absolutely funding, you know, through partly through that founder's fee. Uh, you know, more development in this area and more development in cryptography and its application to blockchains and, uh, you know, even economic models and all the rest. I love hearing that. I love that that's going on. Okay, let's you know, I want to be very clear about that. But my main thing that I support is zero knowledge proofs, because I I think this is a huge part of the future. We don't get that many scientific breakthroughs. Okay, I, I mean, really, like, that's the best term to describe it. We don't get that many of those in cryptography you know, generally. So this is an exciting technology that I want to see uh, flourish. Okay. Now, Zencash, not Zcash, but Zencash uses the same zero knowledge proofs, you know, ZK snarks, which is what it's specifically called. I mean, because there's multiple, there's kind of multiple zero knowledge proof technologies, but ZK snarks is sort of the main one being developed uh, by Zcash. They use uh, that technology. Okay. Now there is the concern about the trusted setup. Here's inside track point. Number one, the people at Zencash are aware of that. Like they, they know that that's a problem. They understand the concerns around it and they themselves would like to fund ways to get around, you know, the trusted setup and all this stuff. So th- there, there's an awareness there. Okay. So this is a technology using zero knowledge proofs already. I feel positive towards it. It's not the only one, right? There's Z classic. Uh, Z coin is a different situation, but as far as using ZK snarks, you have more or less the big three are Zencash, Z classic and, uh, and 
or what did I say? Zcash, Z Classic, and Zencash. This is going to be tough with all these Zs. But anyway, so Zencash is, I mean, and as it stands right now, Zencash is very much uh, a clone of of Zcash. I mean, like the differentiators aren't necessarily in play yet. Okay, but the state, but two things. Okay, two things going for for Zencash. One is is the stated goals of what they're doing, and I know some of these projects are already in beta and will and may be coming out soon. So if you are looking to, again, I'm not giving you necessarily investment advice. Uh, you know, I am not a. a all right. Legal disclaimer. Can, should I just say that? Can I just say that? Does that make a good enough legal disclaimer or some kind of whatever uh, there? I said legal disclaimer. So legal disclaimer of risk. <laughs> OK, um, I am aware that there are uh, tests. So so what Zencash is trying to do is they're trying to be Zcash, but they're trying to sort of be the dash of Zcash. Uh, OK, where they are a platform and not just a currency. Okay, as to where Zcash largely right now, and there's nothing wrong with this, it's not a negative by any means, is just a cryptocurrency. Okay, so, I mean, even though you can do a couple little other things with it. So anyway, so Zencash is trying to be a sort of a publishing platform. They're trying to be a um, a communications platform where you're using zero-knowledge proofs for encrypted communications and all this. Not to say Zcash can't do this, but Zencash is already working on it and they're moving forward and, you know, they're making very nice uh, GUIs, okay, so that everybody can kind of use this and they are aimed at, as to where Zcash is more aimed at enterprise, uh, you know, the enterprise, you know, market, okay, uh, Zencash is looking more towards end user and developing markets and all this stuff, okay. So now Zencash is, they, they, they already have like their chat apps are in development right now. And I've heard that people are using them and it's pretty impressive just how easy they are to use. Uh, they also have kind of like how Dash has a master node system, which I understand, I understand the concerns around those. I've talked about them recently when I was talking, when I was asked a question about, do I have any concerns around Dash? I'm aware of the concerns around that. Uh, Zencash is doing something similar called secure nodes, which those are in beta right now. We'll probably be in by the end of the month. Um, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that within the next month is going to make Zencash, in my opinion, of a very, very serious player. Okay. Uh, so this is something that again, I'm, I'm recommending keeping your eye on. If you want to put money into it, put money into it. I've invested into it. I will tell you that straight up. So, I mean, and there are other announcements coming. I'm not going to necessarily reveal a lot of those. I'm just saying that I have some degree of information that, you know, huge shit will could, well, you can't guarantee anything in this life. Well, almost anything, <laughs> but, uh, huge shit's coming with this. And, and it's, it's really, you know, I, it is, it is something I'm very excited about. Now, the second point I wanted to get into is the team. Okay. I have talked to these guys, uh, and gals. And these are people who fucking get it. If you're a libertarian, these are people who like literally they are trying to reach out to the free state project libertarian, the pork fest libertarians, the anarchists, the whole thing. The head guy, Rob, is an anarchist. I mean, this is, you know, they they get the ideology. You can read the white paper. OK, I put a link in the show notes for the website zensystem.io. You can read the white paper. It's a beautiful white paper because it gets into the economics. It gets into the philosophical. It explains why this is important. Blah, blah, blah. These these guys have no problem being irreverent and, you know, being anti-government. The whole thing. That's another part that excites me, which is even better 
in my opinion, than Zcash. I, I know Zcash kind of has these attitudes, and I know that they're trying to appeal to enterprise because that's where the money is. And, you know, you can't take, like, I kind of get it, that you can't take that hard anarchist tact, okay, I, which I don't think Zuko's an anarchist, but you can't take that hard anarchist tact with the, the kind of the customers they're try, that Zcash is trying to get out to, even though anarchists can totally use their technology and use it to great effect. Okay, but Zencash, no, there's no problem. Talk to them. Talk to them. They they are as anarchists as they come, and they'll talk anarchism with you night and day. They'll talk libertarians. I mean, just alone that they know that because I've I've said this for years. I said it on Free Talk Live. I said it on Sovereign Tech. I said it on Sex and Science Hour. I said it on every show. Anytime anybody asked me about Bitcoin, I said the reason Bitcoin actually had stability and grew and is where it is today. Yes, it's an amazing technology, but it did so because of liberty minded people that grassroots movement of, of understanding why they needed it and they got passionate about it. Okay. And I said that if a cryptocurrency is ever going to get taken seriously, they have to go the same route or you do what Zcash does and you just go for enterprise. Okay. You, you go one of those two and they are, I mean, I think that's part of the reason dash has held on and has been so successful. They went after the same crowd and I think Zencash is doing the same thing. Okay. Like the, and, and that's the crowd to get, because they're the people that need this technology. Everybody else can fucking use PayPal. Who the, who gives a shit? Okay. So I think you have the right attitude. You have the right technology. And, you you know, you have some interesting differentiating ideas, which to me makes this a, a crypto that I'm going to mention around. Okay. It's right up there. I know I know. I, I, there's a lot of people that are fans of Monero. I understand that. Um, you know, this this sits in that wheelhouse. These are the privacy coins. That's kind of the new term going around, even though I know Zuko tweeted and said, uh, we're not a privacy coin. He's like, well, yeah, I mean, we are, but we're not just a privacy coin. Like, I, yeah, okay, I, I understand that point. Get what people are fucking saying when they call it a privacy coin. Like, Zcash, come on, just accept it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But but anyway, this is, you know, and, and these are the ones that you want to keep an eye out for where privacy, security, anonymity, all that is really baked in. OK. Uh, and with Zencash, it's there. So it's just something. Hey, look, if you've got holdings in Zcash, I'm not saying take them out of Zcash and go to Zencash. Do both. There's no reason. And, and that's the other beautiful thing, too, is I know the developers for Zencash, they are so on board with all. You know, they they want Monero to exist. They want Dash to exist. They want Zcash to exist. They want Bitcoin to exist. They don't want to be like, I mean, maybe maybe in their you know wild fantasies, they want to be the dominant coin, but they don't care if all the other ones exist. And that's that's such a great attitude to fucking have, because so many people are like, oh, no, 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 no. We can only have the one. We don't need the others. We just want the one, blah, blah, blah. And they yeah, it, it just gets crazy. So. Or that way of thinking, in my opinion, gets crazy because, as I've always said, in freer markets, not that we we may never have a worldwide freed market. OK, but in freer markets, you don't have less currencies. You have more. We know that there is historical precedent for that fact. OK, so good. Have a bunch of them. This is one of the ones, one of the few that in my book is OK. You know, and, and so and, and it's at an early it's at a very early buying price, in my opinion. So if it's something you're interested in, there you go. You're a patron. You just got, the, you know, a degree of an inside track on that. And that's all I've got to say about Zencash. If you have other questions, you can ask me. Yep. If you have concerns about the way that ZK Snarks is set up, those concerns still would apply to everything that's going on with Zencash. So if you have those concerns, don't do it. Just don't do it. That's OK. 
I, I'm not, I'm really not insulting you. I appreciate, I, I say this, look, this is the def, the default position people should have with any blockchain technology, um, perhaps outside of Bitcoin and even within the kind of the, the Bitcoin civil war triad that's kind of, that's sort of going on right now. Okay. The default position should be absolute skepticism should be that not just skepticism, but that it's a scam. I'm saying, I think this one isn't, you know, that Zen cash is not, but that is the default position to have. And if you have that about Zen cash, Hey, fine. You know, that's okay. I, I understand. So anyway, let's, uh, let's get on to another question. This is just a quick one. Um, did you notice Acer released the new Chromebook 15? All right. Well, okay. So, so the question is basically, are Chromebooks still viable? Um, yes. Okay. So let, let's, let's caveat or, you know, let, let's, let's deep dive just, just for, this should only take a couple of minutes to answer, but let's deep dive a little bit into this. Okay. So yeah, because this one's referencing a new Chromebook that, that can run uh, the Google play store. Okay. Well that, you know, that makes it a little more usable, right? Because you have so many Android apps that, I mean, and whether depend how people feel about the actual functionality of Android apps and the practicality of Android apps, that is personal taste across the board. That is totally subjective. So that's up to you. Okay. If, you know, if you feel that it's enough for you or it's not enough for you or it's buggy, whatever, that's, that's your call. Okay. If you like Android apps, and I don't blame you, you know, go for it. Okay. So now what's happening in, in my, in the, the abstract of technological privacy today. Okay. What in many ways it's coming down to, if you need to do business in the real world, okay, <laughs> is you sort of have to choose your company right now. You don't have to. Okay. And if you create your own company, maybe you don't have to bother with this and, you know, you can do everything on Linux and on your own little NAS and, you know, you can have, you know, use sand, sandstorm or something and have a great time. Okay. I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm just, I guess for shorthand, I'm saying you have to choose between, you know, you're pretty much choosing between me. I mean, I guess maybe Amazon could be a choice, which by the way, I'll probably talk about it this week on Sovereign Tech Prime, but that Amazon and Cortana, uh, uh, a union going on right now where they're going to work together, talk to each other, quote unquote. Um, that's, that's, that's a very interesting thing to discuss. Uh, you choose kind of between Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Apple. And I, I mean, I, that's more or less it maybe Dropbox. So you could count on that. I don't know, but you're, you're effectively at some point you're, tr- I mean, real Dropbox shouldn't really count in that. Um, you're going to trust because of the combination of hardware and so- hardware that you buy and the software services that either come stock or that you put on there. Um, you are going to be trusting one of those tech giants with a lot of your data, with the bulk of your data, you know, and, and you sort of don't, again, sort of don't have a choice if you are doing business in the everyday world. Okay. Um, so you choose one, you know, and, and you want to play the game of lesser of evils. Okay. Then you play that game. You know, do you think Microsoft is the least of all evils? Then you're, you know, knee deep in Microsoft's ecosystem. Also keep in mind that, you know, account minimalism is important. You have as few accounts as is humanly possible and you download as few as little software as humanly possible. Okay. Uh, so if you decide that Microsoft is going to be your main account where the bulk of your digital life resides, well, then no, Chromebooks is, is not a good idea. Uh, you know, that then it's, it's not viable and you're just going to stick with Windows 10 machines pretty much. I mean, maybe you want, maybe you could run with a Linux thing. I mean, because Microsoft has, has made huge strides 
of, of uh, working with the Linux community. Uh, in fact, Microsoft, I believe now, is the number one provider of open source software in the world. And they are the number one developer and uh, supporters of open source software in the world. So, you know, there's there's something to be said for that, certainly. But, uh, you know, or maybe maybe you're an Apple person. You use Mac OS, you use, uh, you know, you have an iPhone and all this stuff. Well, then, you know, keep all your shit with Apple. That way you don't have to have a bunch of different accounts and that way you're not installing a bunch of bullshit software. In that case, a Chromebook is also not for you. However, if Google, Alphabet slash Google, is the company where you hang your hat, you know, is, is the account, you know, your Google account is incredibly important to you. Uh, you know, you do a lot with Google Docs, Google Drive, um, you know, whatever, Google Play Music. I mean, you're just like you're you are, for whatever reasons, stuck inside of uh, Google's ecosystem. Then, yeah, a Chromebook is a great idea because, you know, it's uh, Chromebooks are still awesome for preventing, you know, your run of the mill malicious hacker, again, not state actor. Okay. But your, your run of the mill, mill malicious hacker, uh, you know, and protecting you from that. I mean, they're great. They're very secure platforms. They're just not secure from Google. And, you know, since they're not secure from Google, they're not really secure from, you know, from a, a nation state. Uh, so keep, you know, that's the perspective you have to have is that if you're going to hang your hat with some company and the, the hat that you're hanging it with happens to be Google, then yeah, Chromebook, Chromebooks are totally valid. I mean, and you can do as far as securing things from everybody besides Google and nation states, you can do tremendous shit with a, with a Chromebook. I mean, that can be, you know, uh, uh, just a, just an amazing secure, you know, very secure device. You could run, you know, you can run the signal app on there. Uh, you could you could run Mailvelope and have PGP. You can run Telegram on there. You can run Line. You I mean you, all these secure messaging you could do. You can P, you can be PGPing your emails. Um, you know the drive is automatically encrypted anyway, just because of the nature of Chrome OS. I mean the, you know it's it's a very impressive package. There's a reason years ago that I was so excited about them. Okay, but if your Google account is not your, you know, bread and butter is not your primary way of interacting, or that's not where, you know, you, you have everything kind of sit, um, then no, I, I, I don't think it's a worthwhile platform to get involved in because you're just opening stuff up to another company that you don't trust. Like I don't trust Google. So I try not to use their services as much as I can, uh, you know, to, to keep it from getting to them, but it's more or less, you are always mitigating between these tech giants. Which one do you trust the most? That's kind of what privacy, uh, in, in, you know, average privacy for the average person. And even for, you know, the, the technically inclined has come down to which company do you, you know, do you trust or do you, um, you know, do you not trust least? I guess. <laughs> so so th that's your choice. So yeah, Chromebooks can still be totally valid. Uh, they can also be very nice if you can actually, uh, you know, just, just use, because it's generally cheap hardware, uh, inexpensive, not cheap, but inexpensive hardware, and you can install Linux on it and, you know, in a way you go. But I'm, I'm really not recommending a Chromebook. I'm just saying that, uh, yeah, it, it can be, you know, it, it still can be a valid platform, especially if you're stuck in Google's ecosystem, uh, and, and you can do a lot of very interesting things with it. So anyway, um, especially now that you can run Android apps in it. Uh, so let's see. All right. Next question. So this is a sequel to, uh, to a question that was asked to me last week, which was, um, do I read more than one book at a time? And I described quickly and just said, 
Uh, no, I'll read one fiction book and then I'll read like, or I, I read my fiction books generally through an audiobook, So I listen to them and then nonfiction books. I actually, you know, read, uh, you know, with my eyes, the old fashioned way. Uh, so then the person said, well, they, they meant they, they kind of clarified their question saying, well, they were wondering more. Do I read multiple books at a time as in like, will I read one book one week? Uh, you're part of a book one week and then the next week I'll read a different book or that I'll read like three or four different uh, maybe nonfiction books sort of, you know, in conjunction, like, at, you know, at the same time. Um, obviously, the person doesn't before somebody cracks a joke, obviously, the person doesn't mean do I hold, you know, four books in front of my eyes and I read all of them at once? No, of course, uh, you know, and I they didn't mean that. I'm just cutting the joke off of the pass. Um yeah, no, I, I am one of those people that, I mean, unless there's something, unless, you know, I, I'm doing some kind of research and I have to cross-reference or whatever, I am one of those people, I'm a total completionist, I, I have to read the entire, I will read an entire book before I move on to the next one. Other than the caveat, like I said, of, you know, where I'm listening to an audiobook and I'm reading one book. So in that sense, like I said last week, I am reading two books at this, you know, two books at the same time. But uh, otherwise, no, I, I finish one because I mean, the thing with books, just to explain why, in my opinion, the thing with books is that a book is giving you an entire picture. OK, and you want to be very conscious of the fact that it is giving you a singular picture. And I think it's the real advantage of books in that it's not like you know, newspapers or magazines or, well, magazines can kind of be, you know, can sort of be a singular whole or like websites where there's constant updates or where they're changing the story and all this books, usually great books or good books or normal books. Anyway, none of this, you know, horseshit political stuff um, that, that usually all comes out after some kind of presidential election. But like, you know, your, your average book is something that generally takes years to write and it is a a set conglomerate of those years like it, it is or a, a compilation it is a set compilation of those years it is giving you a whole picture and i think cutting off that picture at any point keeps you from seeing the entire picture in my opinion so no i it's one book and i finish that book and then that's that's the you know then that's the end of it then i move on to the next book so yeah one book at a time uh for me i hope that explains that um anyway next question uh let's see so uh let's get in oh jesus christ <laughs> why no emoji movie review yet you emoticon shill yes i am an emoticon shill <laughs> i will never <laughs> I will not, as a point of pride, I won't watch that movie. I know there's those movies, right, where, like, they're so bad you have to see them to know why they're bad. No, this, is, this isn't this is even one of those. This is just one of those ones where, where you just completely uh, ignore it. And I am getting a paycheck uh, from the, the ASCII Art uh, Foundation to uh, to keep me from doing it. So, <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, so someone, uh, or actually not someone, uh, Daryl W. Perry sent in a story from antiwar.com, which, of course, I'm a huge supporter of. Uh, you know, Angela Keaton, look, between her and Judge Andrew Napolitano, they are the reason I am the anarchist you see before you today. I mean, Judge Andrew Napolitano cleared my mind of, you know, the concept that, you know, that you don't need, uh, like, defense forces and, uh, you know, and, and militaries and all this different stuff. Angela Keaton, I remember the first time I saw her, she was actually on, it was on Judge Knapp's show, uh, Freedom Watch. She came on looked amazing 
you know, she's wearing triple black and all this stuff and, and had this leather jacket on and she was just talking and she was brilliant. She was absolutely brilliant. And she was just, just hammering foreign policy. And this would have been, I guess this would have been 20, 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. And man, like <laughs> she cleared the cobwebs. She is, she, I don't even know if she, I've, t- I mean, I've hung out with her. I've talked with her, you know, a few times. I, I don't even know if she knows <laughs> just how much like she helped me, but uh, you know, on my path. But anyway, so uh, let's see. Yeah. So this is from antiwar.com. I'll actually, I'll read a bit of the story and then we'll, you know, I'll, I'll break it down and get into it. And then we have more, more fun questions uh, to get into. Apple purges all Iranian apps from iPhones, citing U.S. sanctions. So uh, I'll read it here. Despite not having any stores in the country, Apple's iPhone has about 11% of the Iranian cell phone market. With that comes a wide array of applications. And while Apple didn't have an Iranian app store, developers have long just put their apps for the Iranian market elsewhere, meaning that they just they would put it in the app store and, you know, people would get their hands on it, uh, you know, using a VPN or whatever the fuck they needed to do. That's reading on. That seems to have come to an end this week with Apple beginning a crackdown on all Iranian applications for the iPhone, claiming that any apps for the market are in violation of U.S. sanctions against Iran. This has shut down a number of key applications, including food delivery services and an Iranian Uber equivalent. The legal claim is uncertain. Google doesn't discriminate against Iranian applications for its Android operating system, and Samsung, a manufacturer of such phones, has a major store inside Iran. Locals are starting an online campaign to try to bring awareness to what Apple is doing and to encourage them to stop. In 2013, the U.S. explicitly ended its technology export ban on Iran and specifically to encourage information sharing applications getting into the country. At the time, State Department officials said this effectively legalized the export of iPhones to Iran, though Apple still refused to do so. This might become an uncomfortable situation for Apple in the end. In 2012, an Apple store garnered controversy in the U.S. when the U.S. uh, when they refused to sell an iPad tablet to a U.S. citizen. The clerk identified the clerk of an Apple store identified as being ethnic Iranian, claiming that the sanctions forbade sales of technology even to American citizens of Iranian origin. Holy fucking shit. That is. Let me stop for a second. That is the epitome of a mindless fucking liberal. And oh, yeah, I am going to generalize that an Apple user is a fucking liberal. <laughs> yes, or at least an Apple, Apple store worker certainly is. I mean, you just to be that level of hipster. Anyway, uh, this is likely to encourage Iranians to try to find a way around these new restrictions. And while in the long run, they might be switching to a, comp- a competing phone company that doesn't overtly discriminate against them. It's likely there will be efforts to sideload Iranian applications to end users in that country. So that is going to be a, t- a tall, a tall order because jailbreaking iPhones is not necessarily as easy as it once was. It is a very risky proposition and I cannot even just the ability to get an iPhone in Iran to double down on the risk of that by jailbreaking it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know how, how well exactly uh, that's that's going to work. So let's let's talk about this. Let's break this down as, as far as what you know, what's going on with it. Uh, and there are some interesting things to say or, or, or to, to glean, I should say, from it. Um, I wouldn't begin to claim that I'm interesting. So. Trump, President Trump, President Trump, sorry. Uh, he 
as I understand, now I know some of the, again, there's sanctions that were lifted, there's sanctions that were set up. Uh, you know, during the Obama administration, during the Trump administration, uh, he has absolutely doubled down on no, you know, you're not going to send stuff to Iran. Now, across the board, anarchists and well, it was supposed to be libertarians, but I, don't, I guess not anymore. You know, said this is this is ridiculous. Why? You know, none of these sanctions aren't going to hurt the government at all. It's just going to hurt the citizens. And like the like when the when the export ban was lifted it was lifted because it would allow for information to get into iran and you know potentially maybe free the minds of the people there i mean even even parts of the government recognize this now understand that as we say often on sovereign tech look there's there's not just one u.s government yes there is one there's technically one u.s government according to the u.s constitution okay but there's a multitude of u.s like like there's a bunch of different and I don't mean Republican Democrat. I mean, there are a bunch of different factions within the U.S. government structure. OK, that that have disagreeing viewpoints, blah, blah, blah. I mean, this it doesn't sound conspiratorial to anybody because, again, they would just instantly think, well, yeah, there's Republicans and Democrats. But I'm saying it goes much further than that. OK, in fact, if we're to believe some of the new what is it called? Express lane. That was the new leaks from uh, WikiLeaks that were part of Vault 7 that shows how the CIA was putting Trojans in software that was meant to interact between the NSA and the CIA and the FBI. That's because, like I said, when we did the entire Vault 7 episode on Sovereign Tech Prime, these are not they are not on the same team. Now, if we're to believe these, you know, the express lane leaks, of course, and I understand skepticism on those. But if they're true, it proves my point that, you know, the CIA is in competition, is a separate, not just a separate organization, but a separate ideology working for different masters, whatever, than the NSA is. And the NSA is working for, you know, a different uh, overall organization or ideology than the CIA is, etc. Okay. So you have, you know, competing aspects of this, but there are obviously parts of the U.S. government that recognize the revolutionary. And if it ends up being violent or whatever, or puts in a government that is more compliant to U.S. interests, fine. Um, You know, they recognize that that allowing for these apps and allowing for that technology and everything, you know, to be in Iran, uh, that it could subvert, you know, the mullahs. Right. It could subvert the Iranian government that's there now. They understand it. And. It's a reality that that's exactly what would likely happen eventually. Or, you know, people would just ignore because, again, just because I mean, every government is an occupying force is a violent occupying force. Every single government is that. All right. And if you happen to choose to have one of those or if you happen to support one or vote for it, well, understand what you're voting for. You're voting for a gang. OK. Um, but just because there is an occupying force that claims to be the government of a geographic area does not mean that the people that live in that geographic area recognize, respect or follow or do, uh, you know, what what that government says or that government's very existence. OK, you can I, I mean, this is once you get outside of U.S. history, if you ever bother to, like, read outside of U.S. history, particularly in, you know, if you start reading, uh, you know, about like the area of the Middle East and sort of, you know, some of those outlying countries that used to formally try and be controlled under the USSR and everything, you know, you'll find out about that there were <laughs> there were, shall we say, competing governments that were constantly at war with each other. And it wasn't exactly like a civil war. There were just like governments that kind of sat on that, that kind of worked on top of each other. weren't always tripping over each other. Um, 
you know, until one of them would finally, you know, kind of win out for for varying reasons. It didn't even have to be a bloody civil war uh, whatsoever. But the point being is that there were people who lived, you know, you you could live in your house on, uh, I don't know, Badaba Street or whatever. And two governments would claim to have the same authority over Badaba Street. And you would, you know, you would choose which one you wanted to or you'd choose none. I mean, that's that's a valid choice, too. But you would choose which government you decided to recognize. And, of course, then it becomes a problem of enforcement bodies. Hopefully it doesn't turn into a civil war. But but I mean, that was a reality happening in so many countries and still happens today. All right. So you don't have to. That's why I say, like. The people of Iran could just fucking ignore and they really could. They could ignore the mullahs and just live their lives saying, no, fuck, I'll have an iPhone, you know, and and they move on and they, you know, they do their tiny acts of rebellion as they go along, much like a lot of anarchists that still have principles, even though there aren't many left, um, you know, will do in, uh, in in the United States. OK, so. Anyway, um, yeah, this is really only going to hurt the chances of the Iranian people like achieving any kind of real freedom. But then that's that's what aspects of the U.S. government are. are well, any government isn't interested in freedom, but some are more akin to it than others, I guess. But that's but aspects of the U.S. government, particularly the Trump administration, obviously is not interested in freedom whatsoever. OK, and they they have doubled down on these sanctions against, um, you know, against Iran. Uh, more so than was happening during the Obama administration. OK, now, again, that's totally antithetical to any libertarian position that I remember a few years ago. These days, maybe that's different. Um, you know, now, you know, now that there's so much support for Trump. But uh, anyway, so <laughs> I'm I'm all over the place with this. So this is this is terrible. Now, Apple doing this. Like they could, you know, they also, much like we've been describing how citizens and everything else can kind of ignore the stuff, they could also ignore the the sanctions and just kind of let the shit slide, you know, and not care because Google lets it slide. They they don't they don't pay any attention to this. I mean, in hell, really using Android is a solution in itself anyway, because you can install your own app stores. And so, you know, Iranians could create Iranian people could create their own or the Iranian people could create their own app stores that are Iranian that would allow for all this to happen. Um, I mean, I get it. There is there's a certain uh, social cachet that comes with having an iPhone. OK, that comes with having Apple devices. And that's probably where the appeal is, uh, you know, for for varying Iranian people. But like them using Apple is 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 kind of foolish in the first place because it is it is such a closed platform. And because this sort of thing, you know, is exactly what happens. This is what happens when you have closed source. This is what happens when you have closed closed platforms. Okay, and I blame Apple first. I don't blame the Iranian people for wanting iPhones. Okay, I blame Apple, you know, straight up. Um, But this is understand in a very real sense. This is a business enacting, you know, a very real foreign policy uh, that should be concerning to people. And I think is. I mean, a business can choose to whom they want to sell to. No doubt about that. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I would at some point, maybe I'll cover that case where the guy, you know, told an, a U.S. citizen that was a, that appeared to be of Iranian descent wouldn't sell them an iPad because they thought that was that was, you know, against uh, sanctions. I, I, whoa, <laughs> what the fuck? 
you know, again, Apple doesn't have to pay attention to this stuff. Other tech companies don't, but they do. I can't, I, I really, I can't stand that company. Uh, now, are they under the, are, are they under, uh, are they in the hot seat, as it were, with, um, you know, with the U.S. government? Yep, absolutely. After what happened with San Bernardino and other things, maybe they feel they need to keep their noses extra clean. You know, I, I could certainly believe that that's what's running through, uh, through Apple's mind. But, yeah, th- this, this doesn't, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially when they will bend over fucking backwards to appease the Chinese government. Like it doesn't even make sense on Apple's part. You know, this is, I mean, they, I'm sure they have their ways of thinking, but whatever it is, like there, there is no, there's no real logic going on here. And yeah, I, I mean, it, it just shows their willingness, you know, really to play ball with the government, uh, with, with a multitude of governments, um, unless it's Iran, which, yeah, that's that's weird. I do want to point out one of the stories that antiwar.com links to is from Mac Rumors, which is a very popular Apple site, not a political site at all. But I was amazed at some of again, this this story is just a few days old. I was amazed at some of the comments that were in that were that were on that story, on that post, on on Mac Rumors, not on Antiwar. If these were the comments on antiwar.com, I'd be like, "Well, yeah, of course you people get it." But this is on Mac rumors, and it was amazing. I, I want to read some of this. Um, let's see. Uh, sanctions are dumb. They always hit regular people the most and barely do any harm to governments. Uh, then a person responded to that, saying, the U.S. knows this. This point is to put the people through so much pain and death that they revolt. The U.S. then funds terrorist groups involved in the revolt they created and ousts the government in favor of one that agrees to giving into corporate America's agenda. Holy shit. Um Here's another one that's in response. This is the initial thing. So I just don't see how our how our countrywide sanctions or boycotts or anything of that sort going are going to do any good for anyone. The citizens aren't the people who run the country and therefore shouldn't suffer from whatever conflict there is with the government. That being said, considering the iPhone not only isn't sold there, but Apple services are completely unavailable there either. I think removing these apps is a justifiable action. Now, like the person's half right, right? But then this is the response to that. This is amazing. And this is all by different people. Let's be honest here. Our government doesn't give a lick about collateral damage, be it unrest, civilian casualties, or beating a weak country to death because we can't go after ones we aren't sure we can handle. It's sad, but the American electorate frankly doesn't care because as long as they can pound their chests once in a while and self-absorb their complicity on Sundays, it gives them slash us a sense of purpose and strength. Will it change? Probably not. It would help if people would just be honest about the people we see in our mirrors, though. Ooh, I mean, like, and, and there's a bunch of these where they're just ripping corporate, you know, foreign policy, yeah, corporate, foreign, but I repeat myself, foreign policy to shreds. And I was like, wow, people are actually kind of getting this. They're starting to see the point that, you no, know, look, the, all this war shit is, is, is nonsense. Um, I was amazed by that. So anyway, I'll put the link in the show notes to the antiwar.com story, uh, you know, if you want to check it out uh, for yourself. But let's uh, let's move on to another question here. Uh, this is a fun one. It has to do with relationships. Uh, let's see. Do you find it difficult or even bother trying to maintain relationships with status types? Who? Okay. So there was an episode that Stephanie and I did for Sovereign Tech patrons called the Relationship Rhombus Show. We might do another one in the future if uh, you know we get more a, a bunch more relationship questions. I still have some, but uh, I'll touch on this here, and I kind of touched on it there. And that is there are, shall we say, ideologies. I mean, I don't think anybody just has one 
necessarily ideology. And if you're the kind of person, go oh, kill all ideologies. Okay, fine. I, I, I get you. Okay. You don't have to comment. I know. <laughs> um, but I think people have varying uh, ideologies. And I said this on that episode. I said, look, if honestly I can get along with a statist who is also a hedonist more than I can get along with a libertarian slash anarchist, uh, almost across the board. Okay. Because I mean, a lot of libertarians particularly are very conservative and a lot of anarchists hold some very odd ideas, especially if it's not about, you know, them going for personal freedom, uh, you know, and, and personal freedom really equates to personal happiness and the goal in life is happiness. Just ask Ayn Rand or, you know, a whole slew of other egoists out there. Uh, yes, Ayn Rand was in many technical terms, an egoist, uh, even though she got stuff wrong. But anyway, so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't find it. Statists are actually easier to get along with than than a lot of libertarians and anarchists, which is it's kind of sad. Right. Because or it, it, it seems like it shouldn't be that way. But but it is um, there is a lot of. Well, frankly, I mean, a lot of libertarians don't have a sense of humor. I mean, they just don't like and it's a bad one if they do have it. I mean, like it's a completely unsympathetic and and pathetic uh, sense of humor. And, and that's, that's a shame. Um, there, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of things. I mean, look, I can get along with, with, I mean, it's not everybody. There's plenty that I get along with. Obviously my listenership, I think are, are, are very socially adept, uh, people, but, and you can easily see it in, you know, like the sovereign tech, uh, uncensored group on Facebook. I mean, as best as you can see somebody's, you know, social skills and whatever else on, on Facebook. Um, but part, part of the problem with, a lot of libertarians, a lot of non-statists, how about I just put it that way, is that they're, they're incredibly dogmatic as to where you can get a lot of statists that are actually very apolitical. They're still statists. If you ask them, you know, does the government need to exist? They'd say yes. Uh, but they're generally that they can be very apolitical and just not care. And they just go about their lives and they do. And in that, they almost do a better job of being anarchists than a lot of anarchists do. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't find it that difficult if they're like a really politically charged statist where they're like, oh, yeah, well, how about Trump? How about this? How about that? I mean, or, you know, or how about how about Clinton or I don't know, whatever side they happen to be on. I'm on neither. Uh, then 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 it's tough. Yep. Then, then it is tough to, to hold on to those relationships. And but at the same time, you can you know, you can hear in what they're saying in their calls for violence or a.k.a. support of politics. Um, you can hear the needs that are going on. Like they're concerned. They're worried that their kids are going to die or they're worried that they're going to lose, um, you know, their medications or they're worried about all these different things. And if you can, if you can step back and hear that, that's what's being said. No, I think you can get along with them. Fine. You know, as to where, and even that can be, can be easier to deal with than the just absolute dogmatism, you know, really pathetic dogmatism that you end up with, uh, with, with a lot of, uh, a lot of non-status where, well, I could give examples, but why? <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't necessarily see that as, as difficult, you know, to, to, um, or do or even bother trying to, to maintain relationships with status types. It, it's not that bad, <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot of times, I mean, it depends, you know, I granted, I don't work nine to, I don't, you know, go to a nine to five job or whatever. I generally have the 
fortuitousness of being able to work with like-minded individuals uh, to, to me in, in, you know, in, in varying ways. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it's fine. And you just keep it light because they're generally, generally, if they're a status, they they might not have done like the really deep work anyway to where a conversation would ever get to to any any weight, uh, you know, to a conversation of any weight in the first place. So, yeah, but but it depends. I mean, and if but again, though, if they are really, really like like harping constantly uh, about politics, like, all right. So here's an example. Here here is an example where I had a hard time. Um, I was spending some time with uh, some of Stephanie's family. And there was an older woman and she was giving me this whole shtick about how great John McCain was, you know, and yep, I'll admit it. Having to hear like I, I had a hard time hearing that I had a hard time listening to that. And it was just so it was just such bullshit, you know, everything that was coming out of that woman's mouth. Um, and I say that generally with respect, because other than her political, you know, her political espousing. She's a, an incredible woman, you know, this woman that I was talking to. So but yeah, when it's that those kinds of conversations, yep, very hard, very, very hard. So it depends, you know, if, if they're a more apolitical status, then no, it's not hard at all. If you never have to talk about politics with them, no, it's not hard at all. But if they want to talk politics a lot, well, yeah, that can that that can be tough. So hope hope that answered that. Um, I, I still see it worthwhile uh, to, to talk to a lot of status, uh, actually particularly leftists, because I think that they're, they're just a hop, skip and a jump. Many of them from, you know, from, from becoming full on anarchists. I mean, it just takes a little bit because they're already questioning all the social mores or not, not all leftists. There's plenty of leftists that are just as ardent status as anybody, you know, as any conservative or anybody on the right. Okay. But, um, but a lot of them, especially the younger ones, I mean, they're, they're, they're in my opinion, they're that close. You know, they're, they're so close to just, okay, yep, no, I'm an anarchist. Okay, they might not, they might not become an anarcho-capitalist, but then I'm not interested in converting people to anarcho-capitalists. I, I, I'm interested in converting them to individual freedom, individual freedom, okay, uh, you know, but I, I'm not going to give them any specific flag that they need to carry. That, if you're, if you're trying to do that... I mean, I guess everybody has their their market that or you know their their uh, their audience that they're going after, but that's that's not what I'm interested in. I just I just want people thinking for themselves, and I don't care what prefix uh, they they put in front of their names. So, uh, okay, let's let's get on to let's get on to another one here. Uh, there was one about hard work that I was thinking about. I I think I might save that one. Here here's a fun one. Let's get into a fun one. Uh, what do you think the world would be like if Abrahamic religions were never created? Oh, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, wow. So first off, and if you've heard longtime listeners of Sovereign Tech, if you've heard me say this before, um, well, I've said this before, but I don't know exactly. I have theories. I have guesses. But I don't know where religion really came from, okay? Because, like, it doesn't... So, I know a lot of people want to make the claim, a lot of uh, anthropologists and archaeologists and whoever else, they want to make the claim that the first religion was something called animism, okay? Which animism means that it's kind of like the force, where there's, there's a life force in everything, okay? And then at some point, animism 
turned into, I mean, like literally there's a life force and everything in the rock, you know, everything you, you could just quote Yoda. Okay. At some point, animism turned into some, you know, became more of a polytheism. And then the polytheism would eventually become a monotheism. That's the traditional story being told of how religion came into existence. Here's the problem is that in my opinion, okay, and it's not just my opinion, there's plenty of anthropologists and archaeologists that would agree with what I'm about to say, is that, you know, for for Paleolithic humans, okay, for ancient humans, it is quintessential that they have the firmest of grasps on reality. Now, me, I'm an atheist, okay, so I don't think there is a God. I don't think there's any spiritual forces. I don't, you know, none, none of that stuff, okay? If you think that way, you think that way. But, you know, to me, yeah, so, so for them to have a, a, a rock-solid grasp on reality, okay, I mean, that's how they had to survive. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't live on if they did anything less. If they started believing in anything bigger than themselves, they would have died. They would never have made it to, to even remotely something like the Neolithic. They would have never made it to farming. There's so many things that they just that humanity would have never even started doing if they let loose their grasp on reality in any way. Okay. Especially because there isn't exactly like a shared experience of religion at the time. Now, you can say, well, but people can be religious and still be, you know, uh, you know, genetic scientists uh, and map DNA and create computers and all this wonderful technology and they could still be Christians or something like that. Well, the thing is, though, is that religions have like this really systematized framework, okay, that they can work off of. That's what I'm saying is going from zero of no religion to one of religion and not dying off. I have I I don't know exactly what caused that. Like we don't have the evidence and I don't think we can ever know. Okay, what 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 brought that? What really we can't know for certain what brought that on. All right. Now, if you have some kind of system that you're just basing it off of, like Catholicism or something like that, then, yeah, you have it's systematized and you can base off of things from there, you know, and you can continue to 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 make all these developments. Uh, You know, it's not like you're going to die if you accept religion. Obviously, that's not true. I'm saying for ancient humans. Yes, that was true, is that if you started believing that anything besides yourself was going to take care of you game over you are food for wolves or worse so what my theory and it's based off of other people's theories and it's not you know necessarily an original thought on my part uh, you know you know I, I say that and i maybe you people don't need me to say that sort of thing that that it's not just my theory um I think that's important to do because I think there's a lot of people in philosophical libertarian anarchist circles who claim that shit is their original ideas when it's not. And that's a problem. Those people need to need. I mean, those people need to be called out. And I mean, some of the biggest names and it's fucking annoying as hell. And they didn't come up with it independently. No, 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 no. They, they copied and you can tell. Um, anyway, so uh, what I think happened is that at some point somebody ate a mushroom really it's this simple i this is my theory somebody ate a mushroom it's not just my theory again but some people ate somebody ate a mushroom and they were able to describe an experience a psychedelic experience psychotropic experience whatever that no one could had ever thought about before or grasped and this person was claiming to have seen, oh, I see this happening. I see this happening. And maybe somehow there was this, this, you know, just pure luck 
that they ended up with a great growing season based upon, I don't know, the purple wombats that somebody saw from, you know, having a mushroom resort or whatever. I, I'm, I'm being very broad. You get my point is that they, they, they consumed some kind of psychedelic, some kind of psychotropic, okay, that, that caused them to see something else and that maybe had not for them either they they were just you know the the rest of the tribe was awed by this person's stories or there was some happenstance some fortunate happenstance that occurred based upon what this person who who consumed this this drug effectively uh you know saw or said and that that's how religion started that's the only i mean like it had to be something like that you know uh i i mean i i just i don't that's my guess. We don't know. We're never going to know. But that's my guess. And I think what happened after that is that the people that consumed, say, those mushrooms or whatever else ended up becoming a priestly class. And that's not only how religion started. That's how government started. So how that all ends up becoming an Abrahamic religion, how we get to Judaism, uh, you know, Islam and Christianity how it all gets to there is obviously years of, or, you know, thousands of years of, you know, various changes within this religion, various new interpretations as, as new priests came into power. And I'm not talking about priests of an Abrahamic religion, just priests, the, you know, shamans, the abstract uh, notion within a tribe of, uh, you know, a woo-woo man. They shouldn't be called holy men. They should be called woo-woo men. Um, that, you know, eventually you, you end up with with some form of, of monotheism. Now, the Abrahamic religions are not the only forms of monotheism. I mean, you have you have plenty others. You have, uh, you know, Mithra, uh, you know, the Mithraic cults right in Rome. Um, there's there's quite a few. You have what happened with uh, Akhenaten, right, where they ended up. Um, you know, they ended up worshiping the Aten, the sun, or, well, maybe it wasn't the sun, but anyway, they ended up worshiping one God. You know, Egypt became a monotheistic culture for the reign of Akhenaten. Uh, so, you know, mo- monotheism happens, and I would, I might argue that Akhenaten is the person that introduced, is what brought into, uh, you know, the world, the concept of monotheism. Okay, and also I would very much argue that Akhenaten. Well, this gets into a lot of historical play, but you have characters like Osarsef, Akhenaten and all these, which to varying degrees, people have attributed to perhaps being Moses himself. Okay, you just kind of have to shift the times and there's some, you know, the timetables a bit. And I think there are some very interesting theories that exist around that, like the idea that Solomon didn't actually exist. Solomon was just an Egyptian pharaoh. And, you know, that's why you can't really find much left over of what Solomon and you really can't, Um, you know, forget about the Wailing Wall. It's wrong. Uh, (laughs) I tell you that whether I believe Solomon existed or not. Okay, there's there's so much evidence for that. Um, Anyway, you know, that Solomon was originally just just an Egyptian pharaoh. Uh, and the queen of Sheba was, you know, his queen. I mean, there's so, so you, you can kind of twist stuff to where you get a very different, not twist it in, in a way that doesn't have evidence bearing upon it, but you end up with a different theory, a different aspect of time. Um, so, you know, what, what are the Abrahamic religions? I mean, it's, it's tough. If we want to count the religion of Akhenaten, then, you, you know, well, we saw what happened when that went away. 
But what clearly happened after Akhenaten is somebody probably somebody must have, you know, his his not his priesthood or whatever, but followers of Akhenaten uh, got away. And, I, and, you know, they probably ended up starting creating the Hebrew religion. You know, they ended up creating Judaism. They are, you know, a proto Judaism. Effectively, um, they would end up creating uh, all, you know, and, and, and then everything else would stem out of that. Christianity would come out of that. In fact, there's a great book uh, by um, by Ahmed Osman called Out of Egypt. That talks about and it's like, well, the, the sub the subtitle for it is the roots of uh, the roots of Christianity revealed, saying that even Christianity is just this Egyptian religion uh, and people don't realize it. So, yeah, if I, I <laughs> so this is a this is a tough question. If there were not Abrahamic religions, um, I mean, I think the most direct thing that you would see have changed is you would never like Rome probably wouldn't have fallen because I heavily attribute Christianity to the fall of Rome in a negative sense. Because when you started telling people that, like the Bible says, that, uh, you know, don't put don't put faith or don't invest in things that moth and rust destroy. okay, meaning don't care about this life that you're living right now, care about the afterlife. Um, I think that led to the downfall of of any 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 incredible advancements happening, um, you know, in in civilization at the time, you know, particularly in Rome. I think it also led to the downfall of all of the social advancements that were happening in Rome, including the acceptance of, you know, a multitude of religions. Uh, you know, they weren't really harsh towards a lot of that stuff. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, if, if if there weren't Abrahamic religions, then we would pr- I mean, it, it comes down to either I guess I guess I'll, I'll say this part. It comes down to Rome wouldn't have fallen. And so we'd be in outer space right now, uh, <laughs> like just straight up, you know, we, we'd be in outer space uh, that wouldn't have happened. And also, you know, if I want to take it back a bit further and this kind of hits on what uh, a question that I answered a couple weeks ago, I think when we were talking about William the Bastard. Uh, it, you know, Egypt, arguably, if if. Who oh boy. OK, so if Akhenaten stayed in power. All right. And that's that's a that's a huge if if Akhenaten stayed in power, I think the answer would have, would be the same or would be similar, maybe advanced by a thousand, a couple thousand years or something. Uh, but the answer would be the same that we would you know, we'd, we'd be in space because the Egyptians had a had an incredible grasp of a lot of varying things and were you know the protoculture to a lot a lot of other concepts. I mean, we were talking about how the Babylonians understood trigonometry so much better than we do because they're using a different math system. I mean, there's a lot of these things that that I think you know a lot a lot of stuff that that Egypt understood that I think would have led to us eventually getting to you know getting to the point where you know the Earth would be would just be the the seed and we're, we are the plant sprouting into the rest of the solar system, you know, by now. Okay. So, but, but you get, you kind of have to understand that part of the problem, why I think monotheism has caused so many issues or why the Abrahamic religions have caused so many issues is because they, you know, if one accepts the premise and I, that's a big, if, if you accept the premise that, that the Abrahamic religions really started because of Akhenaten, you know, because of the coup in Egypt against Akhenaten and forcing his, you know, religious practitioners to kind of go underground and hide themselves, which is what I think happened. You end up with 
with Abraham or with monotheism, but but Abrahamic religions, perhaps particularly and Judaism, one could call out, you know, initially because it would be the first one of the bunch that Judaism becomes this very subversive secret force. OK, through throughout history, even within and I would I would definitely argue this and I, I've kind of hinted that this at various points within, you know, within sovereign text history. Uh, you you have a Judaism that goes throughout history that is like you have a, Ju- a secret Judaism within Judaism itself. You have like an extra secret kind of kind of kind of class, uh, priestly class or something. I'm not just talking about Levites. OK, you, you have this this secret Judaism that that exists within Judaism. And you know that it does because and not not uninterestingly, when, you know, the northern and southern kingdoms of Judah or of Israel, um, you know, southern kingdom was Judah. The, the northern kingdom was Israel. When that happened, you know, when 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 other empires were sweeping in and taking all of that out, we know that a some priestly group ran off back to Egypt, which I would say is, you know, the motherland. Okay, (laughs) ran back to Egypt and on Elephantine Isle built an exact mock up of the, uh, you know, of, of of a temple to Yahweh. But it wasn't just a temple to Yahweh. It was a temple to a lot of other things, too. Okay, but we know that this group ran off and built this incredible like, and you know, you can still see it today, this incredible Jewish temple. All right. And so, you know, who who did that? Who pulled that off? How did they get away? What, what were they doing going back to Egypt? Isn't that kind of a stupid idea? Blah, blah, blah. Not really, because, I mean, this is a group that just, you know, there was a secret group within it that knew they had to go and preserve their stuff. And so they ran back home and they they tried to preserve it on Elephantine Isle. And I mean, there's there's so much history to to, to talk about that. But understand that. That the Abrahamic religions and not just Judaism, because eventually it would also become Islam, eventually it would also become Christianity. OK, it's need to be subversive. Um, and there's I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being subversive and secretive or anything like that. I'm not believe me, I, I believe quite the opposite. OK, uh, you know, that that has caused so many, so many issues and so many problems because you, you didn't know it was happening. But the problem is, is that the what they were espousing, what these subversive Abrahamic religious groups were espousing was antithetical to human freedom. And that's why that's why it's an issue. And, and it wasn't just antithetical to human freedom. It was antithetical to technology. It was antithetical to life. It was like, yeah, well, here's another Ayn Rand quote for you. It's anti-mind, anti-life, right? Because, you know, it's telling you don't care about this world, care about the next. Don't invest in this world. Maybe, I mean, maybe say don't care about this world is, is a misnomer. But don't invest in this world. Invest in the next one. And that way of thinking, um, you know, and, and look, he, polytheistic Egypt had had similar ways of that thinking as well. But obviously, okay, before somebody brings up that critique, obviously there was the patterns, there was the ability for someone who didn't believe in polytheism to reach the highest seat in the land effectively, or to hold on to the highest seat in the land um, and get away with it for a little while. You know, that being Akhenaten or Amenhotep IV, right? Originally, I mean, yeah, I know it, there, there's there's, you know, uh, lineage involved into how that person got that seat of power. But like it worked. People bought it. A lot of people bought into it. You know, it was happening that, you know, the entire the entire religion around Aten was going down or, you know, it was 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 a hot and happening thing. People were accepting of that. Like, oh, OK, no more polytheism. Now, I mean, the the polytheistic priests, of course, they fucking flipped out uh, because. Oh, shit. You know, we, we just lost all of our power. So, yeah, they they started, you know, scheming and all this different shit. But the point is, is that 
there was the capability for religious freedom itself, you know, after fashion within Egypt. So it's not like um, you could say that, well, Egypt was was polytheistic. Right. Um, but you had the opportunity, you know, to for it for it to become something else. Obviously, that, you know, the groundwork was there for, for uh, you know, for that to happen. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I I love the historical questions, but they're so huge. You have to talk about so much. You have to cover so much ground to kind of get to to, to the end point. But, yeah, it just comes down to I think I think we would end up. um, We we, we would be in space, you know, because, again, the, the Abrahamic religions particularly are so concentrating on the afterlife and on not putting real work into this life uh, that, yeah, it's it's held the entire human species down. You know, it just really has. And it's been so successful because throughout, you know, be it Christians or Jews or whatever, it's always had to be the kind of the secretive subversive force. Okay, not necessarily violent, not necessarily revolutionary. I mean, that doesn't that obviously doesn't bear out well, usually because, you know, what happened to the Jews in the first century, Uh, you know, go go down the list. I mean, and certainly Christians would were offing themselves throughout the Protestant Reformation and all this. Uh, But yeah. Yeah, I could go on and on. I, 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 I really could. So, yeah, we, we, we would be in space. We, we would have the Egyptian and, and you kind of have to go back. Either Rome wouldn't have fell or even if you could go back far enough, Egypt would have never fell if uh, if the Abrahamic because what I think brought on the Abrahamic religions again was the down was Akhenaten. But particularly it was his, uh, you know, Akhenaten's dethroning and, you know, effective assassination um, that that really, you know, uh, what brought, you know, the Abrahamic religions into existence because, you know, that that worshiping the Aten had to go underground. Oh, OK, so hope I answered that anyway. <laughs> I might have rambled. Uh, but again, that's such a huge subject. I love the question. It's a lot of fun to, you know, to talk about. But there's so much uh, there's so many. And I don't want to stack the deck. I mean, there's like there's so many little things you kind of have to accept and or so many things that you have to talk about that you have to bring up, you know, to really get to a genuine answer of that. But, yeah, that's 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 how I think it would it would go. We'd, we'd be in space right now. So anyway, that's it for this week um, or, you know, for, for this week's uh, Q&A. Got other stuff coming out. There'll be a new Sex and Science Hour. Got a new Dynamite Sovereign Tech coming up. Uh, can't wait to share that with you. Woo. And uh, thank you so much. Had, had a lot of patrons up their donation this week uh, because we've lost a few patrons for, I guess, incendiary shit that I say. Well, you know, <laughs> this is a this is a house for free thinking, baby. <laughs> and if you don't dig it, hey, OK. Uh, so anyway, uh, thank you so much to all those that up their donation and the new patrons that have come on board. Uh, whew, I will see you on the other side.